Hello, my friends. Welcome to Word Made Digital. I'm your host, Joanna LaFleur. This is season six, episode eight. We're in this whole season on the fruit of the spirit. And uh, today we are talking to Tim Day on gentleness. Uh, How do we lead well, but actually throttle our power? Like what do we do about toxic masculinity, which seems to be this catchphrase and perhaps overused phrase. And what do we do with leader bravado and strength? And we need to make decisions, but what do we do to also be gentle? What does gentleness even look like for Christians? Uh, Tim Day is a leader who I think we have something to learn from on this issue. So thanks so much to Compassion Canada and Waybase.com for making this season possible. I'm going to tell you more about them later, but let me tell you a little bit about Tim Day and also remind you that We're Made Digital, We're Made Digital.com, there's resources there for you. We've got a whole backlog of six seasons of a podcast, but more than that, we have a lot of tutorial videos that have been coming out. We're going to lean a little more into video. If you're listening to this podcast, I want to remind you that we also have this on YouTube. If you want to see the people that I'm talking to, uh, you can do that. You can check out our YouTube channel. The link is going to be down below, but also if you just go on YouTube and search Joanna LaFleur, you're going to find it or search the name of the guest, you're going to find it. So would love for you to do that. And um, it's just another way for you to get the content, but also we're going to be leaning more and more into video. We know you want video content, you want vlog, you want tutorial, you want content, training, teaching, encouragement, some entertainment even. So we're going to be doing that coming up in the next number of months. But let me tell you a little bit about Tim Day and the conversation we're having. Tim is the director of national engagement for waybase.com. Waybase, uh, maybe you've been hearing me talk about them in this season. They're an organization I've had the privilege of working with in 2021, but Tim and I go way back. We met, um, Uh, Well, we met in church work when I was in pastoral ministry and he was in pastoral ministry. He served for 14 years in senior leadership at the Meeting House, which is a multi-site church in, well, all over Ontario, but it's based out of the Toronto, Central Ontario area. He's author of a book called God Enters Stage Left. He is a creative thinker, but he also with Waybase is basically helping Christian ministries find each other, partner together, build collective impact. He's the executive director of City Movement Canada. He's got a wife. He's got three adult kids who are all really into creative and media fields. He's an athlete, lots of other things. But one of the things that he is and why I asked Tim on the podcast today is because he strikes me as a gentle leader. I think we have something to learn from him as he's led massive Uh, church organizations, and he continues to lead across the country, but I think he does it with a spirit of gentleness. You're going to hear that in the conversation. So enjoy this conversation with Tim Day. Welcome to the Word Made Digital Podcast with Joanna LaFleur. You're listening to Season 6. Word Made Digital brings you interviews with Christian creatives and communicators to inspire, challenge, and equip you in your own work. The church has the best news in the world, so we want to help you be the best communicators in the world. Here we go. Tim Day, welcome to Word Made Digital. I'm really glad to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much, Joanna. Thanks for having me on. This is amazing. Um, I'm, uh, I, I just, we got it. Let's just start at the beginning. Can you tell us a little bit about you, Um who are who are you, Tim Day? <laughs> uh, I'm a kid from a small town in Ontario. I grew up in Shorkston, 
a little tiny little uh, kind of rural community in down in the Niagara area in Ontario. If you know Niagara Falls, kind of about a half hour from there, and uh, grew up in a in a home where my dad went into ministry. Sorry, I've got a little problem with my microphone here, headset. But uh, he went into ministry after being in business and doing a variety of things. Um, and so I kind of grew up real connected to the church, done church planting, uh, youth ministry first, actually, and then church planting, and then worked at a large multi-site for about 14 years, a meeting house, and was senior pastor there, um, uh, kind of growing from one location in a high school to 16 locations. So it was a really amazing experience and now working in uh, supporting the church across Canada, particularly in how it engages younger generations and uh, works in cities uh, to have more measured impact. So uh, that's a quick flyover. I'm married uh, to Liz and have three kids. Uh, we were just talking before the podcast started. They're all uh, in the creative sector. So I have a son who um, works in the creative industries and is just finishing up a contract with an HBO Max show. Uh, filming in Toronto. Oh, cool. Uh, assisting the executive producer, which was pretty cool. The daughter at Sheridan in illustration, kind of their animation illustration program. And uh, then a son going into media production at Ryerson. So I got lots of creative music, art, animation, film, television type stuff that happens in our house. Ah, very cool. And I guess, um, you know, I came from a house of um, maybe more like engineer, traditional, um, professional careers like art wasn't really um art was like a hobby you didn't do it as a job so how do you feel about that for your kids as you look at the future like where the world is going and you think of the creative industry uh what do you think about that for your own children getting into it well it's it's so much the uh the future of our world is in how communications take place you know it's Mm. you know back in the world we grew up Billions of people couldn't communicate uh, to each other moment by moment. And now everything is, is communicate, you know, not everything, but so much of everything is communication, how we communicate well. So I'm kind of excited for them. They're kind of in the main, you know, super highways of the world is everything related to communication. So uh, they're visually and from a narrative point of view, they're into how do you tell, how to, how to help people get, talk together, connect, yeah, very communicate, cool. do that creatively. I love it. Um, you, um, you, (laughs) you also kind of come at things from this creative sci-fi even kind of a bent. I would say you and I got into this rant about UFO sightings and aliens and how the Pentagon releases this whole thing in June, 2021 about how they have these verified sightings. And we went down this like nerdy path to the point where you influenced me so much that Danielle Strickland and I recorded a podcast about it. I saw that. Uh, That's hilarious. <laughs> it's not on this podcast. What? It's on her podcast. Um, cause she did a whole series called mind blown about different things that kind of break your understanding or blow up your understanding of what faith is or Mm -hmm. salvation is or what sin is, or, uh, in this case, like, are we alone in the universe? And, um, we had a good time. You should, should check out the episode. (laughs) I definitely got to check that out because you are my source on some of this information. Oh, there you go. I, yeah, well, (laughs) I just was passing on some of the, you know, the stuff that's coming out. It's, 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 I'm sure it's gotta be, you know, planned. 
it's in a release process of their releasing data out to the public so everybody doesn't freak out. Yeah. Well, the yeah, most logical, yeah. Yeah. The most logical part of me says this is some sort of government project that they can't take ownership over because it's top secret and, or, you know, some government of the world is doing this. But then the, the part of me, the childlike or the wonder part of me wants to say like, there is more and there's so much we don't know about the universe and maybe there's something out there, but that I diverge from the point of why we're here together. (laughs) Yeah, Um, no problem. I mean, we're here to talk about some different unknowns. We're talking about the future of church, but I also want to get into the, the, the fruit of the spirit we're talking about today is this idea of gentleness. I see you as such a, it's a, maybe a funny way of saying it, but I do see you as a really gentle leader in your approach. So we want to get there later in the conversation mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. kind of getting your head around your style of leadership, um, mm-hmm. because you continue to lead some pretty major things. But for, before we go to way based world, do you have any, any reflections on, you spent 14 years in a church that was ultimately like a mega church and one of the first churches to go Mm -hmm. multi-site before multi-site was an, an assumed thing as a model for church. Mm -hmm. Uh, You guys were doing this at the meeting house. So I'd love to know um, this on this side of it, some, just some broad questions, some thoughts, reflections on that model of church, what you learned there and what you're Mm -hmm. seeing about what you learned there as it relates to where we're going today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess uh, in terms of like, are you just kind of thinking of like some things that are top of mind, like what I learned from my time at the meeting? Yeah. Well, I guess I'm sure you learned hundreds of things after over 14 years, you probably learned many things, but maybe I'm, I'm looking at, um, yeah, like you were doing it before anybody else was. I think that's a marker of your career is that mm-hmm. you guys are trying mm-hmm. things before everybody else. So what what did you learn about that, about that type of innovation? Maybe you have some critique around the model itself now, 14, like, you know, 20 years later, there's different things to say. We do things differently now than we would 20 years ago. But but yeah, I'd just love to, yeah. to hear about that. Um. Yeah, you're right. Like we found out after we were launching sites that other people were doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we used to say early on in the thing, we kind of felt like we're, you know, um, kind of dragged into our own future by God. Because when we initially launched the first site, it was a temporary measure. And we didn't really structure it for super success. It was kind of like a holdover while we were trying to find a facility to um get larger but then it started to grow and we started to learn things and then people on the opposite in the opposite direction were like hey can we get a site and then it it quickly took shape of like yeah what would be like and it was by looking at how large um urban suburban contexts like the greater toronto area work and that is i don't necessarily know my neighbors i know people spread out from all over the place because of various contexts work related most of them And so if I'm going to invite somebody to church, the notion of inviting my neighbor may not be as intuitive as inviting somebody that I work with all the time, who may not be my neighbor, might live in a totally different part of the city because of how we travel. So the idea of having a big campus somewhere that everybody in a large area drives to, you know, once once we thought about it, it's like, oh, it's not really a great way to do it if you really want to make it easy for people to connect into community. And we are very house church driven, home church driven. So having those home churches was kind of primary. So our first phase of it was like to have a home church within 10 minutes, have a, a, a 
site or a teaching rallying point within 30 minutes, and then a central production site to support a movement across the Hamilton GTA corridor, we called it at that time. And that's kind of where we were. And um, in time, then we found out other people are starting to do this. I think one of the differences in how it formed in us were some of the gifts that were on the team allowed us to think in our partnership with like Cineplex Odeon and how we work with schools rather than just one or two campuses, we quickly jumped to like six. Wow. And then, and we, you know, a lot of people are just kind of thinking of it as like, we'll do one or two. And they didn't really often go beyond that. Like they tended to get to a certain size and then they stopped where we were building systems right from the, the first that allowed us to expand where ultimately, you know, we're three hours direction one way, you know, a couple hours another direction, another three hours the other direction. We ended up spreading across most of, you know, central Ontario or most of Ontario in sites and uh, and home churches. And I, I think if I look back on that kind of that point of innovation is, um, and this comes from like something Jeff Bezos said is like, don't build around, try to build around what will change, build around what won't change, you know, mm-hmm. when he's talking about the future. And I think the thing about people being connected and people operating in a highly connected world, that's not going to change. We're not going to go back in time to another era. We'll always be really connected. And also people are going to work out of these sprawling urban suburban contexts. So I think as we think about our mission field, you know, those early um, views that we had you know, uh, served us over those last, you know, over the last 20 years. And now they're, the meeting house has something called the Jesus collective, um, that they're working on And Danielle's part of, and that's another part of this concept of being connected and resourcing each other and operating, not just as local physical gathered community, but thinking about how we connect all the time. So I think, you know, as I look back on that, I think that's what kind of got us going is, paying attention to how people were operating on day to day and then finding out, okay, how do we, rather than try to bend them to our reality, how do we bend how we do community to their reality? Mm. And I think that that was kind of the starting point. I think that's what happened with multi-site. Now there's a lot post pandemic that's going to be digital. We can talk about that later, but how do we connect with people, not just in larger movements, but how do we connect daily and create community that's in the flow of people's daily life? Right. Well, it sounds like in that sense, if that's the question, you're, you're perfectly positioned for change. Like if you're going to be part of people's life, then if things go digital, uh, as they have, then you're kind of already in your mentality, maybe not literally the technology isn't in your building, but you're set up to pivot in a mentality of like being with people where they are. Um, not asking Mm -hmm. them to come to you. So Mm -hmm. you, you, I mean, you spent a ton of time there and, um, then you jumped into kind of a new many, I think in some ways, maybe a great unknown. Maybe that's not what you, how I'm curious to hear how you would describe it. You went into this sort of, you left that role and entered, um, questions. You entered like an exploration of what could be Mm -hmm. in the church that has led to where you are today and with Waybase and what you're doing. So um, what? tell us the story of Waybase, like how this came to be. You just left, you left a very established thing to try and innovate again and start something new. So tell us the story of how the first few, first few, first few years of that. 
Yeah, I think, you know, in the backdrop of those first few years was a lot of conversations that emerged across a lot of different sectors. And it and it's about the invention of the iPhone, even more so than the Internet, I think will be viewed as the, the massive shift on all sorts of things. Because it basically, the Internet, you still had to be at your desktop and have it open and download something slow, right? With the invention of the iPhone, all of a sudden everybody is like, blasted into the future in a way we've never been and the adoption Mm -hmm. rate unlike any other technology in history you know like you're talking billions of people have adopted it in 10 years which is insane right and um is that really it that that iphone is do you mean the iphone is billions or just the the type of the smartphone right like the touch screen smartphone experience yeah but you know the iphone really I think will be viewed as the great innovation point because of how it <clears throat> its view of how we should communicate and connect. Mm. And it became, I remember when people were really against it because it didn't have the thumb, the, the thumb uh, keyboard, the keypad. Yeah. Everyone tap, wanted the Blackberry. You know, right. And they're just, Oh, the iPhone's not going to work, not going to work. And it just blew everybody out of the water. <coughs> Excuse me. I keep my voice hydrated. I've been talking too much already today. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I think that was the massive point of innovation. So we are in, prior to launching out to do this, we we're already in tons of conversations about all the changes happening on all fronts, like Hollywood. You know, I remember talking to a person who's a significant actor in Hollywood who's a Christian, and they're like, CBS Studios is worried about going bankrupt. Wow. Like, think about that. Like, that's crazy, right? That wow, yeah. we could go through innovation that these type of billion dollar mass properties are are feeling in jeopardy. So um so when we you know got to a certain point, there's enough happening that a small team of us are like I could predict, like I um I said this a few times, if you open up a calendar to any year and pointed out a day. I could tell you probably what I was doing that day. I'd done the senior pastor role for 14 years. I knew, you know, all of the deadlines, our rhythms, everything we needed to do. And I, I, you know, I was always motivated. I was always excited by the next phase of mission, but it was very you know, well established in my mind. <clears throat> and, um, but it consumed all my time. And I'm like, uh, I felt the Lord saying is, you know, essentially, I'm going to, I'm doing a new thing. I want to show you what I'm doing. And so there was, you know, I, I guess it's a big risk if you think of it from a practical point of view to step out. But <clears throat> once it was settled in my mind that God is calling me to do this, I don't know that I felt a particular risk. You know, I, I it's more risky to um, not do what God asks you to do. Yeah. than to do it. Like, yeah. I think we, we have a wrong idea about risk, but I've been around long enough to know if you don't do what God asks you to do, <laughs> it just, all you do is generate a variety of regrets, right? So you might as well just <laughs> yeah. like go with it and expect God to take care of the details. And um, <clears throat> so when emerged then, we did a listening tour for about a year, about 150 coffees across Canada. And... Um, First one started in Vancouver, actually. And then uh, five cities in the U.S. uh, across sectors, Christian leaders in all different sectors, listening to them, like from people who worked in prison ministries to 
NBA analysts to Hollywood to Nashville to people who build hedge funds in New York and like all over the place and um, and London, England as well. And mm-hmm. at the end of that, then we did a millennial think tank that you were a part of. I still remember the some of the impactful things that you shared at that, that they stick with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we did that. And uh, th- um, really coming out of that, the thing that emerged in our thinking was <clears throat> younger leaders think in a particular way. And we were catching a vision for how they approach solving problems, that they're very comfortable in a digitally connected world that's intuitive to them. A non-digitally connected world is counterintuitive. And so if you said, you know, here's the phone book, look up places that have, you know, real estate agents and start calling them to ask them about what listings they have, they're not going to do it. (laughs) No, no, we wouldn't. Yeah, you're right. It's counterintuitive. We would never think to do it. Yeah. No, you'd be like, no, that's one thing I won't do. But if you say, here's (laughs) here's a new platform that maps out everything and and organizes all of your choices and you put in this data about yourself and then it will help quickly summarize all of the options for you. Oh, yeah, I'll do that. That takes like five minutes to set up. Boom, boom, boom. And they've got their list. They're used to a digitally connected, data-driven world that allows them to figure, okay, where's my place? What do I want to do? How do I want to navigate this space? And that's everything from skip the dishes to real estate to wealth-made simple apps to you can just list it. It's the world, right? Yeah. We, we don't we don't have phone books anymore for a reason. And um, so we realized really for the church to progress, and uh, God did a number of things, pulled it together. So the starting point was to support a team of millennials and uh, like uh, younger Gen X leaders who are in technology to tackle this problem. And I'm not a technologist. What I was doing is just helping people connect to the vision and uh, you know bring the resources in that they needed and connections they needed to do their, their vision. So Waybase really emerged out of that as a, <clears throat> as a platform, not a website or not just a tool, but a platform which is a data-driven mass aggregating platform that on the front end is an information location tool where I can kind of find and look at whatever I want. And then on the back end is um, a, a data-driven platform that you can do things like, um, you know, build apps on top of it, connect them to other APIs, do uh, impact analysis and measurement, um, mapping out things like uh, deserts, which are, you know, areas where there's not enough activity in a particular area. So it got got me into a whole new kind of space, but for the younger leaders, it's very intuitive. And so that's what Waybase and the Engage app are, is kind of the first foray into this space. And I mean, you're gathering data now from across the country of Canada. You intend or hope uh, you're in conversations, but people from other countries are saying, you know, when are you coming here? When are you coming to Texas or when are you coming to the UK or whatever? So um, Mm -hmm. the concept of this could expand far beyond Canada. But when we think about it just in Canada, because that's where you have Mm -hmm. your data, um, what are you seeing? uh, maybe what are some standout things that you would think are worth talking about, worth mentioning um, around where maybe where some highlights, where some where some uh, some serious concern? Yeah, low lights. Yeah. Well, one is once we organized all the data, just right first of first of all, the church is way bigger in its scope and influence than people realized. 
when we would go out and I tested this in like a 30 city tour, nobody at the tour, these 2,500 leaders in 30 different cities, had any sense of how big the church was in their city. Hmm. Not even close. <clears throat> and so being in silos really has kept us away from understanding our opportunities. And so I think that was one thing that jumps out. Then a pandemic hits, right? And um, we did a number of national surveys with kind of the research partners on that. And and um, real concretely, you know, things that are jumping out is one is um, ministry leaders, like lots of sector leaders, different sector leaders are very tired. Uh, the pandemic is exhausting and it had a negative impact. Now, I think we'll rebound pretty well. It looks like 80% of leaders are either doing well or will rebound well. There's probably another 20% that we could expect resignations changing, that it just yeah. was it's too hard. Uh, also, another big impact is um, drop in income. Uh, and for a variety of reasons, uh, you know, just for a lot of churches, 10%, even the most digitally advanced online giving tithing churches, they still get... 8 to 10% just straight cash. I show up today, hmm. I pull out a $20 bill and I put it in. And when you're not gathering, you don't get that money and you don't get it back. That, that That's kind of like in the moment giving. And so even once you take that out for most churches and people losing their job that maybe had service jobs or lost employment through the pandemic um, or just people are are worried and so they hold back. There's a lot of churches that lost 20% of their income some as high as 40%. Um, wow, yeah. And so, uh, and some higher. You know, the more rural churches that only passed a plate and received it primarily in checks and cash, and they closed the doors outright. You know, they might be down 60 or 70%. Uh, so there's a real uh, concern about what is, what is going to be like this fall? When will we regather? When will we be able to regather without masks? When will we be able to sing collectively? Um, what will our giving be like at the end of December? What will it be like, you know, coming into the new year? There's a lot of questions. And uh, so I think when we look out real concretely of where the church is at right now, we I think we have to, well, maybe one more thing I'll say is we know factually that the, the rest of the world is going to be a lot more hard hit by the pandemic than Canada or United States or the U.K., Mm-hmm. That all the work, the progress we've done in the areas of poverty over the last 20 years, which has been substantial, that we have like probably been knocked back years and years, maybe a decade or more in terms of the yeah. net effects. I so, think that's what Compassion has said. Uh, Compassion Canada and talking with them have said that it's about a decade, a decade of reversal of progress. Yeah. Regression. Yeah. And so I think when we come out, you kind of package that all together and you can kind of see the picture. One is we need to create a lot more peer-to-peer and support for our leaders and create an environment where they can rebound and, and feel like solidarity. I think we have to work really hard at reconnecting our communities and not only just connecting with them on a Sunday morning, but connecting with them through the week. And, you know, some of our work with the Engage app is related to giving tools to the church to do that in a meaningful way, in a relational way, in a conversational way. Um, And I think we have to do a lot of reconnecting, but then casting vision. You know, um, the church doesn't exist just to be together. We exist to be to do work together. 
And in a sense, you know, if we could capture this moment in time and realize we're the community people, we do community, we create community. There's a lot of isolated people. There's a lot of um, backlogs in our community of people with special needs or specific needs. And we can rally and respond and just be who we are and make a huge difference. And um, so I think that's kind of as I look out on it, it's that weird mix of like vulnerability and change. We're not going to go back to the same way. So we have to adapt to change. But at the same time, maybe the greatest opportunities any of us will have seen in our lifetime. Pausing the conversation for a minute with Tim Day because I want to talk to you about Compassion. Compassion Canada is doing amazing work in the world. And as I see them up close and personal myself, I've been so impressed by this fruit of the spirit approach that they have throughout their, their whole team. I've seen the team in Canada. I've seen the team internationally in you know America, UK, but also around the world international. And I've been over and over struck by the way that they lead and how they lead like Jesus. So uh, I think that plays out in all of the programming and all of the impact that they have locally on the ground with vulnerable children. So if you're looking to get involved, maybe you've been thinking about child sponsorship and wondering if this is like a thing that grandmas do, it's not relevant anymore. I, from my own personal experience, have seen the effects of child sponsorship in the lives of real people. There's a whole episode we have here on the podcast. If you get the bonus episode with Richard Mondaire, he came out of that program. I encourage you to listen to that episode. I don't normally cry on the podcast. I cried on that one because of the transformation in his life through these programs. So Compassion Canada has lots of ways you can use your unique skills, your passions for doing good, whatever it may be that you want to make a difference with. No matter what your life looks like right now, you can make a difference. You can exercise these fruits of the spirit to help other people. So visit compassion.ca slash good for some practical life giving ideas. Compassion.ca slash good. Okay, back to the conversation with Tim. As since you're going there yourself, I'd like to go there. This idea of, as I said, when we set up this interview that I want to talk about gentleness, um, mm. this fruit of the spirit that I think you really characterize gentleness or meekness, a definition that I've heard of this idea is that it's power under control or power that has the reins in, you know, it's a mm -hmm. powerful horse, but it's constrained. Um, so it can do a lot if controlled <laughs> mm -hmm. that gentleness is not about wimpiness, which I think when mm -hmm. we hear gentleness, it sounds wimpy or it certainly maybe doesn't sound masculine. I'll say that. Mm -hmm. Um, so maybe just first, just some initial impressions when you think about that idea as a concept, um, for, as a character trait of the believer and, and, and also as a leader. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the things I love about Jesus teaching is. Um, a lot of our concepts of success, if I can say of progress, have to do with power. And, and so we think powerful people progress. Powerful people are successful. Um, and, and, you know, there's some just kind of like some obvious truth about that, that, you know, you look around, you can see evidences of that all over the place. At the same time, the, it's a sword power cuts two ways. Right. Because if I have power and we know this just from all the stories you see, it, you know, we say power corrupts. Uh oh. So 
it helps me progress and it, and it corrupts me at the same time. And we have endless amounts of stories about that. And it's like the big problem with power. So when Jesus comes along, he recasts things and reframes things to help us get at these real, real problems that we face. And one of the problems we have is, well, how do you progress community without just wreaking, like, I've got good intentions, but the net effect of what I did was really bad. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> right? right? Like, right. that's like the story of the human race, right? Uh, oh, they had such great potential, the human race, right? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> this is, you know, well, this is just, the joke about the aliens. Maybe they're uh, right. on, the, on the other podcast, you know, maybe they... Uh, have some smarter, wiser approaches than we do. <laughs> it was I know, I know. That's what was funny. I saw this little meme of this of like aliens, colon, take me to your leader, me, colon, let's just hold on that. Um, <laughs> you know, you know, kind of that idea. And yeah, you're right. It's like, um, we really struggle with that issue. So the thing about uh, gentleness or meekness, blessed are the meek, as Jesus said, or blessed are the gentle. As you said, that particular word is about power under control, like a very powerful horse that's been bridled for a purpose. Or um, I have a sword, but it's in my sheath. I don't use it, you know. Um, I, I put my sword away kind of thing. And uh, I also think of like real practically, if you've ever had your teeth cleaned, um, the difference between someone who's gentle and not gentle. You know, they both get the job done, but one is like, I'm so grateful they're gentle. Yeah. Right? And the other one is, I wish they would be gentle. Um, right. Because you leave with your moment, bleeding gums. You right. can't eat, you can't <laughs> like, eat regular food for the next 24 hours. in the hours. chair and everything <laughs> like this, right? And it's like, when somebody has that kind of power to get into the intimate areas of my life or into areas that have impact on me, I really want the other person to be gentle. But the problem is with us is when we're on the power side of it, that's where we we lose touch with that. And that's the corrupting power is like, you know, the person who nobody ever says no to, the person who has no, you know, good feedback loops on the pain that they're causing or they sweep it under the carpet because, you know, the, the great evil statement of the human race is the ends justifies the means, Right. And that's like code for like, I'm going to do terrible things and justify it. And I don't care. And it, it's really a, um, when you come into gentleness, the teaching of Jesus and Paul reinforces this and Mary models it beautifully, right? Um, you know, uh, she in a lot of ways helps us see this. Uh, both Mary, his mother, and also Mary that we might call uh, the Magdalene. You know, these are some beautiful examples to us on the power of meekness. Um, one of the great pictures that I have, and this is where people don't believe in the power of meekness or gentleness, I don't think, because they don't understand. Sadly, we don't understand it as well as we should. Um, I was at uh, going to work at the meeting house one day, and there's a four lane highway called Dundas that you know, I travel down and it has tons of transport trucks on it, huge trucks going. And there's this massive backup. Okay. But I was close enough to the front to find out what the backup was. And it was, um, uh, a mom and dad, um, Canada geese walking across the road with their, all their little chicks behind them. Okay. And they had like six or eight of them and they didn't know any better. They just literally walked out into traffic and we're <laughs> yeah. walking slowly yeah. to keep all their chicks. But nobody would move. Because 
in, inside, humanly, even the gruffest you know, truck driver would not pull the truck out to run over those chicks, mm-hmm. right? Just wouldn't do it. You would feel inhumane. And this is, you know, in a lot of ways where, you know, Paul says, you know, uh, God says to Paul, my power is made perfect in weakness. The weakness of gentleness, the weakness, the attunement to the other person that gentleness requires. Like gentleness is not defined by me, it's defined by the other person. I don't tell me that I'm gentle. Hmm. Other people tell me I'm gentle because of how they experience me. And once I realize that and I've attuned to that, that posture actually awakens in the other person a willingness to lay down their power. And as long as I haven't actually absorbed that, right, what ends up happening in a lot of lives is two tractor trailers colliding versus us putting the brakes on because someone has put their weakness out there and put their vulnerability out there. And I think in this, like when we're talking about gentleness in this particular culture, it is goes directly against the the vibe of the day. Um, because right now, and this is the great false belief, and anybody who's listening to this, I'll say this, from all my experience over time and looking at humans from not just a, a biblical point of view or a Christian point of view, but from a interpersonal, neurological, biological point of view, a social psychology point of view, there's a huge false belief that governs us because of our fight-flight reflexes and how we think. And that is conflict is how you achieve progress. And unless you hit somebody hard, they won't learn a lesson. Unless you smack a kid hard, they'll never learn. Unless you burn a place down, they'll never learn. Unless you get in somebody's face and yell them down, they'll never learn. Unless we shut somebody down and just completely ban them from our our circles, they'll never learn. Well, that's where we get into like the cancel culture thing. Absolutely. Yeah. It used to be you have to have a revolution by everybody having guns and practicing assassinations. Now we do character assassinations. We do um, all sorts of things just trying to to ruin people's lives. And if you look at it, it's power. It's about domination. It's under the assumption that I am completely morally right and justified in any use of my power. And I think I will really change this world quickly because the other ways I'm sick and tired, take too long, and we're just going to bring the hammer down. Now, I'd say that, like that is just all over the place right now in people's thinking. It's on how they post on social media all the time, you know, trying to join these mass movements to exert power through social media to dominate people and to kind of shame people or drive them out out of business. And I'm like, in that, Jesus comes and says, you know, all we, you know, Jesus basically says is, you know, blessed are the meek, for they're the ones who will inherit the earth. And and the challenge for us, I think, today is to realize if we're Christians, we have a choice to make. Because Jesus didn't call us to a ministry of power. Jesus called us to a ministry of reconciliation. Right? Wow. And that yeah. ministry of reconciliation is about loving your enemies about walking that extra mile with somebody who's doing something to you that you don't want, 
right? It's about when somebody curses you, blessing them. And in that process, you're converting an enemy into a friend. You're converting somebody who doesn't trust you and doesn't like you into somebody who might listen and you can have a dialogue and you start to trust, being slow to speak, right? Quick to listen, slow to react, slow to anger. This is all the language of gentleness or meekness that over time takes time. But only if you think of all the problems that exist that people are upset about, can any lasting solutions be found without reconciliation? They can't. You know, wow. we have this yeah, with the indigenous people, right? With the indigenous That's the first thing every, like in Can- for Canadians, it's the first thing we would think of is, you know, these continue like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. It'll be thousands of unmarked yeah. grave bodies of these indigenous children at the residential schools. Yeah. How do we reconcile? How do you do? How do you reconcile that? Yeah. Right. And we can't, we can't reconcile, we can't go back in a time machine and change what happened. But what we can do is reconcile the relationships in the present. And that reconciliation is ultimately, like, you know, this is something else. It's like, um, in reconciliation, it's I was wrong. I'm brokenhearted. Please forgive me. How can I make it right? And what does it mean for us to be friends and to walk together? That whole process of reconciliation, when somebody says, this was wrong, this is wrong, what happened, is is such a small and important, but a small beginning. The process, though, of grieving, of letting it emotionally sink in, and then understanding what does it mean to make this right and build towards friendship and community together, that's the process of reconciliation. I think all of that, you know, in the teachings of the fruit of the spirit or in the Beatitudes, gentleness or meekness are fundamental to us actually being in a posture to be able to do that, that deep heart relationship work with others. So are you seeing that maybe it's not as overt, but it's a, it's an underlying thing that's happening with Waybase as people are connecting as people are moving out of silos, seeing what other ministries are doing, do you see that? Do you see yeah, any reconciliation happening there? Yeah, I think definitely in that. Um, now, some of it, I think, it's an interesting process ring because the more you get to know about other people, especially if you have like a third party matchmaker, if I can say this, use this kind of idea, a third party. Um, one of the things we said, you know, we talked about organizing all the data and trying to represent people well to each other is it's not just like data geeks, like we're mathematicians that like playing with you know calculators in the back of our class. It's really about capturing the important information about different organizations and different people and then positioning them so people can approach each other well, right? Like, so let's say if I'm going to approach you, it's one thing to walk up is like, I have no idea who this person is, Okay. And then I have to approach you versus saying, oh, no, this is Joanna. This is her background, man. You should hear what she did, uh, you know, with Sanctus and like what she's doing through Word Made Digital and what she's done through Crossroads. She's had this massive influence. And it's like, can I introduce you? Then it's like, whoa, yeah, like I approach you differently. Right. Then if I have no idea who you are. So a lot of mapping out the church and helping relationships help is actually help appreciate the gifts that are there, our weaknesses, our struggles, but the gifts that are there so that when we come into relationship, you know, 
the friendships can form just that much more quickly. And we can say then, okay, if you have this piece of the puzzle and you have that piece of the puzzle, is there something here that can connect that means that we should be friends together, that we should be um, working together a bit more closely? So Waybase is less of a data platform as it is about a, a knitting if you can, if I can use an old country term, a knitting platform about knitting us together. We use the phrase um, "together for good," and that's a double entendre, you know, in terms of being together for the purpose of the good work God wants to do in the world, but then also the the concept of being knitted together permanently. That that we want to learn how to be together for good. I want to pause the conversation with Tim because we're talking about in a roundabout way, Waybase, this organization that he actually leads and founded, uh, Waybase is bringing the church together for good. They're actually helping people in ministry connect together to make a greater difference through Waybase, connecting them. So if you're wondering what Waybase is, here's what I want you to do first. Go to waybase.com, look up, if you're a Canadian organization, look up your organization. If you haven't yet already, sign up and claim your listing. It's 99% sure it's already on there but you need someone to claim it and then once you're in imagine what you could do through collaboration across the country i mean they've done a national survey on covid19 and well-being 3100 leaders did it from 2700 churches and i think it was 141 different cities i can't even name 141 different cities in canada but they have done that and as a result of this survey they're basically giving data that you don't yet have access to that you don't know how could you possibly know the kind of thing that's going on across the country um, the thing that you're going through that you're not alone in and the ways you can collaborate together to leverage all the skills and gifts of the whole church to do good in your local community so go to waybase.com and i want you to check out what they're up to but claim your own listing waybase.com when we think about this idea of entering a room with less bravado of maybe mm-hmm. having someone else this coming in with a meekness, but having someone else, that third party, as you were saying, mm-hmm. um, bridge the introduction. I think that's mm-hmm. actually one of the things that Waybase is doing. It allows people mm-hmm. to enter and offer what they have to the group without mm-hmm. it having to feel, um, like a power move. Um, right. I love that. I love that analogy. You know, like maybe just as a as a last question to you, when you know, if you're thinking of a young church planter, maybe they're not young, but the church is young. Um, mm-hmm. uh, there's different things we would probably each church that already exists that has to be retrofit to a new digital reality. Um, that's a different conversation. But if you were to be starting something new today, as like a as a, a movement of the church, what would be some some questions you would want to ask, uh, or, um, some approaches you would want to have if you were launching a new church, uh, today. I think in, in, uh, maybe I could say this, like kind of pull it back out, out and just widen the lens a little bit outside of the church. Um, lots of people who engage people in meaningful and in significant ways, are thinking about these same, the same types of things. Because if I use like some, an, another analysis, like if you have a restaurant, how do I get people in the, in the doors? But now after the pandemic, it's like, oh no, 
How do I do good online ordering, you know, multiple services and deliver to their place and they come in and it's like a, it's an ongoing connected sort of experience, not just simply how do I get people in the doors and fill my seats. And this is true in movie theaters, uh, for streaming platforms and pretty much every facet of society, sports teams, professional sports teams, everybody is trying to figure out how to create meaningful, valuable input to other people and shared experiences and do things together that is bigger than just getting in a room and that room being where I do my, you know, everything happens in this room. That whole area is being kind of taken apart and rethought in huge, huge ways. And so I think for anybody who's starting a community, uh, you know, the thing is to think about, okay, who am, who is not right now connected or not connecting well, connecting deeply. And what do they need to spiritually grow? You know, every day of the week, every day of the week. And, and how do, you know, how, how does God want us to work together as a spiritual family to help each other grow? And then where does connecting in person fit in? Where does one-on-one relationships fit in? How does this flow with how people do life today? So I've heard people really experimenting with creative things. Like one guy that I was talking to is like, they're going to do like a much more kind of like bigger event once a month, a more kind of like gather for like uh, kind of like music and teaching once a month. And then they're going to do like very like uh, people form their own kind of small group, little clusters. And they support those in like little pods of relationships, just whatever makes sense to them. And that's going to be their church. And they're going to be connected through the course of the week. And they're not going to do the traditional Sunday morning, 10 a.m. Every service is kind of the same. They're they're actually branching out. And I'm not saying one's right or wrong. I'm, I'm saying that the process of relating to people today is in the midst of, of massive change and and learning from other, even getting outside of churches. A lot of times the way the church innovates is by just looking at other churches. And I'd encourage any new church planter, and I do this myself, is actually get into other sectors and watch how average people operate. Because Christians too are not, like if you really want to reach people outside the church, you have to live among them long enough to kind of know how they think and how they flow. That's one thing. One last thing I would say is language is really important in an age of communication. And one of the things that happens as you break down the communication between people and those little silos that we've built over time is people don't necessarily understand what we're talking about because we use specialized language. And you see this in like healthcare and other sectors that if you kind of listen to, let's say, I'm not picking on doctors, but I'll just pick on doctors right now. With two doctors talking, it's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. But good medical websites translate all of that confusing, very specialized medical language down to something easy I can understand. And then it's like, oh, I don't have to call my doctor every time and have to try to get them to explain something complicated. I can learn enough about this that I can now participate. But the doctor also has to work with me to understand what's going on. And I think for Christians, we've we've kind of lived with our set of Christian way of talking, whatever our denomination or our church is. But the person from the outside comes in and is like, I'm not sure what's happening here, <laughs> you know. And I think in the age of communication, we have to challenge ourselves to be more. And you did a great job of this right at the beginning, Joanna, when you're describing gentleness, right? 
you broke it down, you kind of explained it in a way that I could quickly understand it. And I think we need more of that work that we make ourselves easier to understand, a little less specialized, and it's not heresy if I don't use some of the traditional, I'll give you an example, sin, right? Sin, hamartia, the original word, was not a religious word. It wasn't, it was a normal word for I did something wrong that you would just talk about. Like if I said, oh, do you know, I blew it, Trent, I'm so sorry, I did something wrong. Or do you know what, there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong, like oh, I'm screwed up. There's something wrong with me. That's not a religious thing to say. That's just like a normal human way of talking about something that's that's wrong. Like you did you did something wrong. But we feel like if you don't stay with the traditional language, that you, you've compromised. But what's interesting is we've become more specialized than the New Testament was. Yeah, right? we have a lot like of words to describe. <laughs> right? All the Rather than mean. kind of unearthing the more common way of talking, the New Testament is written in a more common way. There's a number of words that are more common that they would have understood in their day. So anyways, I'll give yeah, you a couple of things to think about. Those, no, that's really those good. types of things come to mind. Well, Tim, I... Um, I, I don't know why you don't have a podcast <laughs> because I think these oh, kinds no, I, of the, all these things in your head, um, I think are fresh, interesting. You're thinking about things and as they relate to the world of technology, of creativity, of a, like what's happening in major media corporations, you have mm-hmm. all of this spinning in your head as context for what you're building at Waybase and Engage App and, mm-hmm. um, so I'm sort of half joking, you know, why don't you have a podcast? Just because I think people would want to listen to what's going on in Tim's, Tim Day's brain more often. <laughs> so thanks for giving us a little piece of it uh, today. Um, if people no, want to find you, you for what or you're doing, if you want to find, you know, what you or you want to send them to what you're up to, where, where do you want to send them today on the internet? Um, yeah, check us out You can check out Waybase and you're going to see more activity. We've been kind of quietly behind the scenes. So you can kind of be behind, you know, you can find me on most, so, you know, I don't post a lot on social media. So if you come, you're like, oh, wow, you know, I'm not like one of those guys that posts like 10 times a day, post a thought or two uh, on Twitter and occasionally here and there. But my, um, you know, so you can follow me there. But I'd say just, you know, check out Waybase and you're going to see more coming on that stream. You can follow that on the, the socials. And um, yeah, I appreciate what you're doing. Joanna, you know, in terms of this podcast, uh, I really value the work that you're doing to bring leaders together and to get them think. And, you know, we don't, you know, the scripture says, you know, like you have 10,000 babysitters or guardians, but not very many, you know, spiritual parents in the world Hmm. Hmm. and really appreciate you stepping up and really allowing God to use you in this way to be you know, not just a leader, but a leader among leaders and a leader who's helping leaders move forward. So anyways, um, I want to encourage you to keep doing that and, uh, may all that you're doing, you know, just be blessed by God to help us move forward. Wow. Amen. Well, it's a, you know, you're part of the story of my world getting bigger or my, whatever it is about leading leaders that you we're one of the people to say, let's give this young girl with some angst an opportunity to, to use her voice for something more useful. <laughs> uh, you know, when I joined this millennial think tank and we began to grapple with some of those issues. So thanks, Tim, so much for, nope, for doing that for so many of us. And, and one of your prayers still was, 
was one of the most impactful things of you just sharing what you sense God was saying. It, it sticks with me. So, you know, God has a purpose and is working through you, Joanna. And um, God is doing, when I said that, when I started out, remember I said, God showed me, you know, said to me, I felt said, you're not doing a new thing, Tim. I'm going to show you what I'm doing. I'm doing a new thing. And I feel you're a part of that. And uh, for the younger leaders who might be listening to this, I'm like, um, just want to encourage all the listeners that are tuning into this. It's like, you know, you said about having angst. The great thing about being older is you get to see how faithful God is and how God does surprising things. The biggest challenge is just to be in tune with God and and walk at a pace and listen in a way that allows you know, me to participate or us to participate in what God's doing. So excited for what's going to happen in these new, uh, these new waves of leaders coming out. Amen. Lead on, Joanna, lead on. Well, let's leave it at that. All right. Thanks. Thanks again. Thanks so much, Tim. I have said it in the podcast to say it again, just a leader I admire so much in his posture and approach to leading. So if you like this episode, if this impacted you, if you want others to know about how Tim thinks and approaches, share this episode, um, rate, like, subscribe, click, tweet, all the ways, all the ways that other people can find out about this so that they can be encouraged too. Thanks to Compassion Canada and to waybase.com for making the podcast possible. And, uh, all those links are in the show notes. If you want to check out what they're doing next up on the podcast, we have back again, Danielle Strickland. Danielle is a dear friend of mine, but I want to talk to her about a new project we haven't talked about yet on this podcast that she's up to. And that's why I invited her back. Danielle has teamed up with a group of people to launch a thing called Imbi in my backyard. And we're talking about jumping in with the fruit of love and how to love your neighbors for real. They're actually building tiny homes in your yard to build more community for people who can't afford housing and also not just housing are, are lonely for community. So uh, it's going to be a really inspiring episode. See you next week. Thanks for listening to the Word Made Digital Podcast with Joanna LaFleur. If you like this content, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode, rate it, and share this episode with your friends.